You'd open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. As we do, uh, I just want to, it was great uh, last night at the harvest dinner to see our church in action. Uh, some of the men, some of the women, uh, some of the youth, and even some of the, I call them super youth, the little kids were uh, clearing dishes and flipping stuff everywhere. It was great. <coughs> what a blessing to see uh, the church of all ages in action and uh, this is what the church is. This is what the Lord has done in br- bringing us all together. Um, we are going to look at something this morning that is a big issue, and it's probably a big issue for you uh, individually this morning. And so uh, just I, I say that up front to prepare your hearts that, that you might be open to it. I know that sometimes you come to church and you wonder if this will be a message for you, if the pastor prepared for you. And... Uh, or if he was preparing for someone else, uh, I just wanted to tell you this morning, I was preparing for you. I was preparing for you. Um, It's interesting how the Lord does that. I I wasn't preparing for you, but uh, the Spirit of God works uh, in His Word. And uh, as uh, I prepare, I, I don't know what's going on in each of your lives, and yet uh, the Lord can connect this through His Spirit into your life to change you today uh, from what has gone on in the past. Today is a message about forgiveness, and I know I've said this before, but I think it's the best picture of the way we view uh, forgiveness, and it's wrong. It's wrong. It might be the way you view forgiveness, and uh, you say you don't, but in your mind you do. And uh, it's the idea of, in football, offsetting penalties. Uh, Some of you don't know anything about football, and you're probably better for it. Uh, But it's the idea when a play happens, and there's a player or players on one side of the line that do something wrong, and the other team on the other side of the line does something wrong. Everybody sees it, the, the, the person... As he gathers together, they get, they get their team together of deciding who did penalties and what, and they're talking, and sometimes that you can see them putting their fingers out like this, and they're going, and then finally they make an announcement. They say, number this on this side did this, and on this side this guy did this, offsetting penalties, offsetting penalties. And so what it is, it's as if... I owe you $40, and you owe me $40 for something else, and we decide, oh, let's just forget it. It's no big deal. Offsetting penalties. Uh, You've done something wrong, and I've done something wrong. We'll just forgive each other because we don't want to be held accountable for the things that we've done, and yours were about the same as mine, and it kind of cancels everything out. This morning, we're going to go to, I just want to say it this way, a typical passage of Jesus, a typical passage in the Bible that speaks of forgiveness, and it shares it in a different way than offsetting penalties. I'll tell you that up front so that we can see it. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you, (coughs) excuse me, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother, uh, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and the payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and refused and went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you had pleaded with me and should not have uh, and should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you and in in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could repay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do every to every one of you <coughs> if you should not forgive your brother from your heart. God, we ask your blessing on your word. Um, Lord, we ask that it would rearrange our life, that it would you'd help us to take out these old thoughts and put in this new thought forgiveness based upon your son Jesus. God, thank you for this morning. Bless us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So a little context. Uh, last week, last couple of weeks, we looked at uh, the brother offended within the, within the assembly or the church. And that we're to go to them and that's the, to care about the brother and care about the sin that it would get resolved that it would be forgiven, that it would be put aside, that it wouldn't continue to break relationship and fellowship. And, and right upon this, Peter asked this question. He asked this question, and, and Peter, you sense in him that he's trying to figure things out. And even the idea that he maybe felt like he had figured it out. He goes, oh, so the brother's of value. So we don't just lose a brother. We try to gain a brother. I get it. So we should be forgiving type people. And so Peter uh, asked this important question (coughs) that maybe has come up in our own heart or something similar to that has come up. Peter understands a personal offense. And I think that we understand personal offenses Um, we have gotten offended. Someone has said something unkind, done something unkind. They have uh, rejected us in some way that we have been hurt. 
The question here this morning is, what do you do with hurt? What, what do you do when someone has said something to you, done something to you, or rejected you in some way that it's hurt you? What do you do with that? I want to tell you, our natural inclination is to hold on to that. It's to hold on to it. Uh, how many of you struggle remembering things? <laughs> yeah. Some of you didn't raise your hand because you couldn't remember if you struggled remembering things. It's brutal, isn't it? You, 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 I'm one of those type of people that you know, gets up and I got to go do something. And I, I walk vigorously to the place and, and then halfway there I go, where am I walking? What am I doing? Why am I here? It's interesting to me that we rarely have this problem when it comes to the offenses that people have done against us. In fact, we're good at it. We hold on to them. We, we, we may not say this, but we cherish them. We cherish them. We put them in a treasure box, making sure that they're not taken away from us. We remember them. We bring them up in our mind often so we can make sure that we won't forget what someone has done to us. Peter, uh, being just a person like you and me, he says, so let me get this straight. I want to ask you a question, Jesus, about personal offense. How often, when my brother sins against me, when the, the one that is partner with me and once again, we're struggling with this brother word, whether it means just a fellow man, but probably within the assembly is what he's talking about. Probably within the church. How often when my brother sins against me and I forgive him, how many times should I do that? And Peter says something in his own mind to be ridiculous. What, what, what he's looking for, and I want you to see this too, is how long should I put up with them? How long uh, is, is benevolent and generous? And Peter most likely thinks that he's doing great. That he says, well, uh, I'm going to let someone do something to me once. Well, m most people would do that. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do something different. As a follower of Christ and His kingdom, I I'm a, now... I understand the Messiah is here and I'm going to follow him. He's got a different kingdom. He's a different king. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a, a fuse long enough for seven offenses. It's going to be incredible. Um, many of you have seen this in a classroom where a student is trying to get in good with the teacher. And they try, they raise their hand and they, they want to highlight how smart they are or, or how well they've gotten the information and uh, buttering up the teacher. And this is Peter. He raises his hand and he says, Jesus, I've been thinking about this. Uh, what you've just said, I got it. I got it. We're supposed to forgive not just one time, but how about this, Jesus? Seven times. You impressed? Jesus responds... How about 77 times? 10 times that. <coughs> a little difficult. Some of your translations 
This is the English Standard Version that I have. It says 77 times. And it, others say seven times seven. It's a translation issue to know which way to go. Either translation is appropriate. But what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying way past what you're ready to go to. Uh, a bigger number than you can think of. That, that, and, and to picture this, that, to, that this would happen in your life. In your daily life. How many times should I let my spouse treat me poorly? How, I, I shouldn't put up with it. I shouldn't put up with it. You know, should I forgive him once? You know what? I, it, it, I'm going to give him not just three tries. It's not three strikes and you're out. It's seven. That's amazing, isn't it? That'd be a great baseball game, right? Uh, seven strikes and you're out. It's kind of like T-ball. Uh, uh, I... I look at that, and, and, and Peter's thinking in one way, and Jesus takes him to a whole different level. And to explain this, he tells a story. He tells a story. He wants to give to them. I, I want to I tell you, if Peter is saying, let me tell you how I deal with personal offense, Jesus' response to him is, who cares about your personal offense? Who cares? In the economy of this new kingdom, what does it matter? And this morning, I, I want to say that to you and to me as we look to God's word. Who cares if we've been offended? Who cares if we've been hurt? Who cares if we don't like it the way someone has treated us? Jesus wants to give us perspective. And I want, us, I want you to tell the, see this, that, that most of us believe in a record-keeping system record-keeping system where it's like financial documents like how, how long are you supposed to keep your tax returns like 80 years or something like that like why like wh why do we need to keep that stuff and you say well what if you need that number on that fourth page and what if they and and, and if the record has been taken care of if the bill has been paid who cares who cares to just know this, that it's been taken care of. As we consider this this morning, know this, that Jesus takes the record of our sins as well as the offenses against us and he tosses them aside and he says, this isn't what we cling to. This isn't what we hold on to. And I want to tell you this morning, I think one of the things that the Lord would want us to do is to let go of the offenses of the past, to let go of them, to forgive, uh, to, to let go of the hurts of the past. And you say, well, I don't know how I could do that. Let's look at God's Word and we will find out. We will find out. Verse 23, we see you and the King. You and the King. How this new relationship between you and the King, how it works, what it's like. And he says this, there's a king that wants to settle accounts. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, this new kingdom, is like a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. Um, settling accounts is the idea of just making things right, of justifying the ledger, of uh, coming to a place where it's all taken care of. And the king wants to settle accounts with his servants. It's his legitimate right to do. Uh, if someone owes you something, there's a legitimate right 
to get what you deserve or what you are owed. And it goes like this. He begins to settle his accounts and one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Uh, that word talent there isn't like singing and dancing. It's a money, it's a money increment. It's, it's something that they would use. It's difficult because of history of uh, how things go and how they looked at these particular things of talents to know how much. Um, it's really not important, but... Uh, this difficult calculation, there's historical documents that record uh, the collection of taxes from about that time from four uh, regions uh, under Rome, uh, big, big regions, uh, big areas. And the collection for the whole year, for the whole year, for these four regions, a lot of people, uh, a big area, was 900 talents, okay? Okay. Uh, you math whizzes, as you look down at the scripture, we're talking about 10,000 talents, okay? So you put that, it's a big number. In fact, uh, th this idea, 10,000, uh, it, it, it's kind of hard to understand. So you picture life without computers. Oh, sounds great, right? Uh, life without calculators, Life without calculators. And that, that even sounds kind of good, right? And so uh, life is a lot smaller. Life is a lot smaller. And so this number 10,000 was uh, like my generations. When I was a kid, we say, I have a million dollars. A million dollars. When I was a kid and I started bragging about having a million dollars, I'll tell you the truth, I was lying. I didn't have a million dollars. But what I was saying, it was the biggest number I could think of. Quickly with inflation, we went to billion. I remember we were at a camp, uh, a men's retreat years ago, and we had our intern run some games for us. And he, he did games and he says, this game right here for the winner of this game, you will get six billion points. He was doing everything in billions, like, and he, he did it for effect because he wanted that big number. This word 10,000 was known to be the greatest number, it may be uh, for this generation, the Googleplex. And that word comes, it, this is kind of an interesting story, it comes from a nine-year-old, a nine-year-old, uh, where in his mind, uh, this nine-year-old, you know, in the, I think it was the early 1900s, this little nine-year-old decided that that was going to be the, the picture of the biggest number that anyone could do. And what it was, <coughs> it wasn't a real number. It was drawing, putting a one and then putting zeros out until you got tired, okay, of putting zeros out. And so the engine, some engineer got to it and made it a real number after that. And anyways, but, but it's this idea of this fictitious number that was uncountable, uncountable. And I want to tell you that that's what 10,000 was. That, that's what 10,000 was to Jesus. He says, that for you, I want to communicate to you that the debt, the debt that this man owed was an uncountable debt. There was no way that you could get your head around it. And, and the idea of the amount of money, it's more than even four regions could do over 11 years. Okay? That this is so much money 
I don't know how he did it. I, you know, I don't know if he was shopping online or I don't know how he got this great debt. <coughs> but, but this was a huge, massive debt. And so this particular man was special. Not special in the sense that uh, he came and he was better than everybody. But he, the, the picture was that this debt made him special in the sense that he could not pay it. That's the point uh, that Jesus makes. Is he, It's a countless number um, that could not be paid back is a special case. Um, and so to justify this, to make it right, what does the king do? He takes him, takes his wife, he takes his children, and he begins to sell them into slavery so that they can pay their debt. And in our American heart, we say, no, slavery is wrong. Slavery is wrong. But if you've paid a debt, guess what? Debt is enslaving. And it, it incurred a debt. And so he says, you have to pay for this. This is your fault. This is justifiable that you would do this, that I would do this. So he's right to do it. He's settling accounts. He's got this huge debt. And this is what happens. You look down at verse 26. So the servant fell to his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will repay everything. What was he doing? He was begging for mercy. He's begging for mercy. He, he, he wasn't bringing uh, the payment. He was asking for mercy. He was asking for time, patience. He was asking for pity. He'd done something wrong, and so he went to the king, and he says, I, I need help. I need help. One thing stands out to me in this, uh, this verse right here. He begged for mercy. He needed to pay. But what did he say? He said, I, I, I'll pay it all. I'll pay it all. That's a delusional thought. That's a delusional thought. One man couldn't pay that amount. At least not through legitimate means. The king came to him and said, you have this debt you need to pay. You, do, you have to pay. This is, this is your debt. You've incurred this. You need to pay. And the, the man begs, as he begs for mercy, he says, I will pay. I will pay everything. That's a delusional thought. The king looks on him at the servant who fell to his knees it says in verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Forgave him the debt. I want to make that connection too. That he didn't say, I will give you time to pay the debt. He did not say, I will give you time to pay the debt. He forgave the debt. And he forgave the debt that they could not pay. That's what he did. This is the picture that Jesus gives us of forgiveness. It goes on to describe you and others, or, or me and others. It's the picture of having that relationship with the king. Now we go out to the fellow servants. <coughs> Verse 28, uh, but 
you get this same picture, a very similar picture of the king and the, the servant. Now the servant in the place of the king that was forgiven to another servant. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, as, as we look at denarii, that's a little bit easier to figure out. A denarii is a day's wages. A day's wages. That kind of floats, right? Uh, you can picture a day's wages for you. Two, three, four hundred dollars a day. And you say a hundred of those, it's a hundred days. Or maybe in our culture, ten weeks of work. Ten weeks. And so, I'm sorry, that's, that's the wrong math. What, what, did I, what did I say? I don't know. You, you heard me the first time. One day's wages is a denarii, and that's a hundred days, okay? hundred days. Uh, as we picture that, you can picture that whatever amount of money that you think. $5,000, $10,000. Maybe you're uh, extremely wealthy and you own a business. Maybe it's 100000 I don't know. But that picture right there is small compared to the uncountable number, right? This is a countable number. This is something you can see in two or three months, right? You can put that, you, you can put your head around that. And, and this is the, the amount that he was owed. So as you consider this, so this hundred days of working, and in light of what the king had done, so it's not much, but it is something. Is he justified in wanting it back? Yes. Yes. The offense is real. The offense is real. This isn't talking about something that's not real. It's talking about something that is real. It's an offense. It's justified. It's meant to be paid back. What happens is very similar. He goes to him and he says, pay what you owe. Uh, it's a little bit different because it's, it's intensified. He began to choke him. He's going to strong arm him and break his kneecaps or whatever he's planning on doing. And he says, pay what you owe. He's justified in doing it. He comes in a rough manner. <coughs> Why? Because he's justified in his own mind. His servant, it's not really his servant, it's his fellow servant, fell down and pleaded with him, have patience on me, with me. I will pay you. I will pay you. I will make it right. Could this be paid? Yeah, this is a countable number. Through... Uh, uh, small living through uh, over a period of time, this debt can be paid. This can be paid back. It's the 40 bucks. It's, it's the idea that over time, I can work for you or work for somebody else, and we can get this back to flush. He asks for this. He pleads for this. In verse 30, it says, He refused and went and put him in prison until he, could, he should pay the debt. Sends him to prison. He, he says, forget mercy, forget pity, forget this idea of forgiveness. I'll make you pay. Verse 32, we go to the master's judgment, the master's thoughts regarding this particular two, two different scenarios put side by side. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. I look at that and I say, you know, he's rough. He says, you wicked servant, you're not righteous. You're not justified. 
Uh, and why was he not righteous? Why was he not justified? It's this deal where he was holding on to it. And he said, this is a wrong that's been done me. This is something that's legitimate. I have the record. I have, I have the records to prove that this person owes me. You may have the record. Your, your memory might be perfect when it comes to these instances. Who's done some, something wrong against you? Some of you are saying, well, my parents did. When I was young, they, they didn't raise me right. I remember the anger that they poured out on me. I remember the sins that happened against me. And that's not right. That's not right. And so whenever I think of my parents, I think of that instance or those instances or that period of time. Fortunately, this isn't for you, this next part, but some of you think about that in terms of church. You say, I was hurt in a church and I'm never going to go back there. It's not for you, right? You're here. You're here. But you might hold on to that. And you might say, I'm not going to be a part of God's people because I got hurt in a church one time. Well, that's what happens in a church. Sometimes you do get hurt. We don't plan on it. Elders don't sit around and go, how can we hurt the people of Bear Valley Church? That'd be pretty depressing if that's what our aim was, right? What kind of church is that? But, but it happens sometimes, right? You get offended. Uh, first thing I'd tell you is don't get offended so easily. Don't get offended. Don't, don't have big toes that always get stepped on. Shrink those toes, right? Go to the toe, toe shrinker or something like that. But don't get offended. But if you are offended, it's legitimate. It, it, it happens. It happens. Jesus wants us to put that in light of his forgiveness of us. As we look at this, he says, you're not righteous to hold this against them. You're not justified. It's not okay. It's not just that you would go put someone to task for the debts they owed you. And why? Because he connects it with his dealing with them. He says, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? If the king who deserved to get his money back forgave you, he didn't, the king didn't owe you anything. You know that? The king didn't have these offsetting penalties. Servants are on a similar, uh, they're on the same plane, if you will. They're, they're side by side. There is a, a thing of offsetting penalties. There is a way to erase it. And Jesus points out that the king chose to be generous and benevolent in his uh, forgiveness of this debt. And that should connect us to how we treat one another. Verse 34 says this, And if in anger the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, so also the Heavenly Father will do with every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Being forgiven, being forgiven, you should forgive. Being forgiven, you should forgive. And I, I want to tell you, this is everywhere in the New Testament. It's everywhere. When forgiveness comes up, there's this connection. Jesus forgave you, you forgive others. This is the way this works. B. 
being forgiven, you should forgive. And, and this, this isn't a picture of you'll lose your salvation, but you will not be released here on earth from the problems that come with unforgiveness. You'll become bitter. You'll become bitter. You'll, hang, you'll, you'll carry those things. They'll hurt you. They'll hurt you in this life. And you say, well, I, I'm justified holding on to them. No, you're not. You are not justified on holding on to offenses. You are an offender to a grand degree against the benevolent king. Three things to tie this up uh, that we might build and grow a forgiving mind and heart. First one is this. First one is this. You got to quit this in your mind. Quit thinking that you can pay it. Quit thinking that you can pay it. That you can somehow be good enough that uh, you're going to work hard and you're not like, I, I take responsibility for myself and my sins and I'll work them off. I'll work them off. I will pay the debt. I want to remind you that that number that's used there is an uncountable number. An uncountable number. And your good works, if there are any, they're not a very big number, okay? There's an uncountable number of debt that you've incurred because of your sins. So quit thinking that you can pay. Quit thinking about it. Quit thinking that, hey, I'm a good hard worker and I, I don't do the things that other, I'm not in that prison over there. I'm not like my brother or sister. I'm not like, when I look around church, there's a lot of bad people there and I'm not one of them. Quit thinking that you can pay. It's a hindrance to you having a forgiving heart. It's a hindrance. Because what you're doing is you're looking at your sin debt and saying, I got that. It's this big. I can take care of that. You can't. You can't. There's only one way to take care of it. For the king to grant you forgiveness. For him to say, I will take care of that debt. Second way to build a forgiving mind and heart is this. Think about the hundred denarii in light of the 10,000 talents. You say, go through that again. Real simple. A denarii is one day. One day. A talent. A talent is a lot more than that. A lot more than that. And 10,000 is an uncountable number. Put your sins next to the offense and say, my sins are much greater and the Lord has forgiven me. So why should I look at the sins against me as so large, but look at them as insignificant compared to what you have done against the king? This is key to have a forgiving heart, to be overwhelmed with the grace that he's extended you and the cost of your sins that you might apply that to your relationships. Which brings us to our third point. Apply the forgiveness of the Father in the Son to all your relationships. Apply the forgiveness of the Father in the Son to you, to all your relationships. There's something interesting that Jesus doesn't get to in this passage, but we know it because we know the whole Bible, is that Jesus is going to go to the cross. The king extends forgiveness 
And he extends forgiveness. This is the father, not the son, as being the king. You look at this. He goes to the end and he says, this is what my father will do. As he, as he says this, I want you to get this. How did the king forgive the debt? How did he do it? Well, he didn't just go, ah, no big deal. We'll just consider it gone. He paid for it with his special son. That's one special son, Jesus. He went to the cross that we might be forgiven. This is what we are to apply in our relationships one to another. I want to tell you, some of you have difficult family relationships. And, and, and you, you look at that and you go, my mom and dad, oh, I can't stand them. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, apply the grace of the gospel to that relationship. <laughs> some of you... Uh, uh, have difficult marriage relationships or marriage relationships in the past. And I want to tell you, you say, I, I'll never forgive them. Uh, be careful the way you say that. The scripture's against you. God's against you when you talk that way. But to look to God's word and say this, I'm going to apply the gospel to that relationship. Some of you are in a difficult marriage right now. And I want to tell you, Apply the, the grace of the gospel to that relationship right now. Some of you, your children are breaking your heart right now. I want to tell you, apply the grace of the gospel to your children every day. These are the relationships. If we've offended you here, uh, apply the grace of the gospel. We need to do this one to another. Why? Because apart from that, we will suffer. Jesus warns us about this and shows us a different way in his kingdom. May we embrace it and understand what forgiveness is. Please join with me in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning and the time in your word. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who shared this message with us. Help us to embrace and think about forgiveness in ways that you think about forgiveness. God, change us. God, let us let, hold, let, let go and let hold of these things that we've carried for so long and apply the grace of the gospel to it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. You are dismissed.